and that's Romans 15, verse, uh, yeah, Romans 15, verse 1 to 13. We who are strong ought to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Each of us should please our neighbours for their good, to build them up. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through the endurance taught in the scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another, then, just as Christ accepted you, in order to bring praise to God. For I tell you that Christ has become a servant of the Jews on behalf of God's truth, so that the promises made to the patriarchs might be confirmed, and, moreover, that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing the praises of your name. Again it says, Rejoice, you Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the people extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The roots of Jesse will spring up, one who will arise to rule over the nations. In him the Gentiles will hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Thanks, Penta, for uh, reading for us. Let me add my welcome to Scott, uh, especially if you are uh, new or visiting with us uh, today. It's really great to, to have you uh, along with us. On, on Sunday mornings, we've been doing a little series thinking about uh, our church life together. Uh, and this morning, we're, we're thinking about faithfulness. Uh, and we're going to come at that uh, through this part of God's Word. If you've got a Bible there in front of you or at home, if you've got one nearby, do keep it open. Romans 15, let me pray again for us as we, as we start to dive uh, into this. Uh, Heavenly Father, we have, we have sung uh, uh, just, uh, just now that our hearts are, are prone to wander. Uh, and we, we do feel it at times. Sometimes we don't notice it, but it is true. And yet you call us to be faithful people. So please would you help us with that, to understand it, to grow in it by the power of your Spirit uh, so that we will stay close to the Lord Jesus himself. Amen. Um, now, uh, just to, to get you thinking, maybe wake you up, here, here's a, a few pictures for you to look at. The sun, a whirlpool, a bar of chocolate. Just chat with somebody nearby. Uh, what do you think these have in common? Uh, just chat, take a minute or so to do that, turn and talk to somebody nearby. What do you think those three things have in common? Off you go.
Okay, that's, that's enough time. It's not that difficult. It's not, a, it's not a university level kind of question. Some of you are thinking, I don't know what they have in common, but I want chocolate now, aren't you? Hey, here's what, it's a kind of guess what's in my mind, is it? Here, here's, here's what I was thinking. Look, all of them, all of them exert a significant pull on anything that comes close to them. That's the way I, I was thinking about it. You can, you can decide for yourself which one of them you think or feel exerts the, the most pull on you. Let me just get my glass. Oh, got a bit of chocolate there as well. That's, that's handy as well. I've got some emergency chocolate in my pocket. You're looking at it now. Some of you are thinking, oh, I'd like that. I'd like that little bit of chocolate. It's not yours. It's mine. You can be, you can be thinking about that. Well, maybe I'll leave it up here and you can come and have a look later and see if it's still there. But look, we, we've been thinking, things, things have a pull on us. And on Sundays, we've been, we've been thinking with this idea that the church is in some ways countercultural. And in doing that and saying that, we're recognizing that the culture around us also has a pull on us. It, it pulls us in a certain direction. Steve, last week, if you were here, he mentioned look, just some ideas that, that kind of come out in our culture and captured in little phrases. Do you, remember, do you remember these ones? He, he said, Look, discover the real you. Just follow your heart and be true to yourself. And there's, there's actually lots of, of pull there because they, they speak in some ways to our, our desire for, well, look, identity. Discover the real you. Uh, and destiny, or, or certainly direction, any, anyway, just follow your heart. Uh, and kind of authenticity. I want to be an authentic person. Uh, be true to yourself. And it's clear as you, as you listen to those phrases, what's, what's behind it, where you'll find them. It's, it's kind of in being faithful to yourself. Now, it doesn't mean, I don't think, even if you go along with some of those things, that we're, we're going around all the time saying, it's all about me, everything is about me. I mean, that would just be awful, wouldn't it? You can function very well like that. But it, it does come out in the way we, we do life. So you think about the people you might choose to befriend at school, and into your thinking comes something like, well, not them. If I hang around with them, they'd make me look uncool. Or you think about choosing a gap year, it'll be good for my CV. Or you think about whether you're content in your work. I don't just want a job that allows me to support myself and my family. Work should satisfy my sense of identity, who I feel I am. Now, it's not, it's not that all of those questions and ways of thinking are completely wrong, but you just begin to notice that the pull it puts on you to, to have yourself at the center as you go about these things. And for some, it'll even come on to other things, how you assess your marriage. Is the person I married 10 years ago still the person to help me follow my heart? If I stay in this marriage, am I being true to myself now? Not true to the promises I might have made 10 years ago, but true to who I am now if I want to be authentic. And you can see, can't you? You just think about those. That, that kind of stuff comes out in our culture. You can see those ideas impact all sorts of thinking. And so, look, don't imagine as you make decisions about things that you're some kind of independent and neutral thinker. None of us are. None of us are kind of independent, neutral thinkers. No, for all of us, our thinking, whoever you are, whatever age you're at, it's been shaped by the culture around us. We are pulled in certain directions. 
But you spot that, and you think about some of these, and you, you realize how countercultural the message of the Bible is. Because on the question of identity, well, the Bible begins to say, find yourself in Jesus Christ. Find yourself in Him. On the question of destiny and direction, it says, join others in following Jesus Christ. And on the question of authenticity, it says, look, be faithful to Jesus and his people. And you can get it here in this passage. Look, let me show you if the Bible's open in front of you. Let me just mention a few. Verse 5, on that question of identity, Paul says, well, we see how he puts it in verse 5. He says, um, may the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind towards each other that Christ Jesus had. Uh, be like him. On the question of destiny or direction in life, verse 6, Paul puts it this way, so that with one mind and one voice you may glorify God. That, that idea of mind there in Paul's day, it wasn't just how you think. It would be, it'd be your thinking, it'd be your imagination, all the creative stuff you do, just everything about you. Um, and he's saying, look, the church... The church is going to be really diverse. It'll be filled with the people who are smarty, filled with the people who are arty, all those kind of different things that go on in church life. And he says, but together, there is meant to be a unifying perspective that sends us all in the same direction, being faithful to Jesus and wanting to live for God's glory. And then authenticity, down in verse 7, where he says, accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring you to God. Paul mentions after that four things from the Old Testament in verses 9 to 12. And he out, that outlines some of God's plans fulfilled in Jesus. That in forgiving people, he'd, he'd gather a new diverse community, not, not just from Israel, but from the whole world. Jesus gave himself for them. And Paul's saying, you're to give yourself to Jesus and to them too. Being authentic, if you want, if you want an authentic life, he's saying it will mean being faithful, not to ourselves the way the kind of culture drags us, but to Jesus and his people. Now, you, you hear that and some might ask, look, is that really the way to the good life? Those of you who are kind of school age and the things you do, you think if, if you set out to be faithful to Jesus, those of you who are busy with, with work life and family life, if you give yourself, give your time faithfully to God's people, will it really head you in the right direction? Here, Paul's initial encouragement comes there in verse 3. Do you see it? It's just as he begins to, to speak to that. And if you get those kind of tensions in mind, who, who am I going to live for? What's the right way to go? If I want the best kind of life, I want to live an authentic life. Uh, and then you understand how his, his little encouragement in verse 3 hits home. You, you see what he says, for even Christ did not please himself, but as it is risen, the insults of those who insult you have fallen on me. Strange bit that he quotes, but he's saying, look, Jesus lived this faithful way. And it wasn't easy. But you know what happened. You know the verdict that God passed on his life. He's, he's been raised up again. 
He really is the pattern of authentic life. But it can be hard, can't it? Living that way. I, I think there's all sorts of ways Paul highlights that in this passage. Here, here's four Ds. I think he, he points out that there's differences, there's difficulties, that at times it's draining, and there's discouragements. Look, the differences are, are there in verse 1. They're, they're hinted at. Paul is writing to a church full of differences. There's Jews and there's Gentiles. And he says there's some strong in faith, some weak. There's, there's all sorts of differences. And then there's difficulties there in verse 1 because uh, when he says, uh, how does he put it, verse 1, when he says, um, bear with the failings of the weak. As soon as he says that, bear, bear with the failings, you, you know that relationally, some things are going to be tricky if there's failings there. In verse 5, he talks about the need for, for endurance and encouragement, and, and I guess that's because some things are draining and discouraging as you go about this. And you hear those things. You think that's true in Christ church as well. We have significant differences, don't we? There's people just from a, a, a range of national backgrounds. There, there's those who are English, different parts of the world, European, Asian, North American, an elite few that come from Scotland. The good ones there. Well, there's differences. And then there's differences in ages and stages of life, in just how we do life. I remember when I was in Derby, some of you know I used to be with a, a church up there, uh, a Hungarian family joined our church, and the dad said to me, what is it, what is it with these middle-class British people I'm trying to get to know them? And we say to them sometimes, can we come and visit you? And they look frightened. They genuinely look frightened. Can we come and visit you? Can we pop round? And they get their phones out, uh, and they check their phones, and they look at their diaries, and they say, oh, we think we've got a Tuesday evening in four weeks' time. I said, what is it with these people? They do not want to get to know us. And if I ever knocked on his door, even if he had people around for a meal, he would always invite us in and say, David, we've got people around. Come in. Join us. Pull up a chair. So weird. Don't do that, do you? And that's before we get to things we do wrong, needing to forgive and be forgiven. Wouldn't it be easier, look, with all those kind of differences and difficulties, wouldn't it be easier just to do our own things? Just be true to yourself. Paul's saying, that's faithless. That's a faithless way to live. Don't go that way. Authentic life. If you feel you want an authentic life, it might be hard, but you need to be faithful to Jesus and his people. How can we do that? What will help us? Look, this morning from this passage, here's three things to get us thinking. Uh, you need, so we need an encounter with Jesus Christ. We'll, we'll need a supernatural transformation to grow more like Jesus Christ. And I think we'll need a way to, to recognize faithfulness. Here, here's the first thing. Look, we'll, we'll need an encounter with Jesus. Look, if something has a gravitational pull on you, if something has a, a, a gravitational pull, if you have been, if you're one of these people who's been thinking about this chocolate for a while and saying, I've not heard anything else he said, all I'm thinking is, oh, could I get that chocolate at the end? What is going to pull you away from that? Well, you will need, won't you? You will need something that is, is bigger and, and better and stronger. And when, when, I, when I pop this up, you're not thinking about this one anymore now, are you? That, that is, that's... That's dead to you now. That is, that is gone. This is the one you want. In order to pull you away from one thing, 
You need something uh, stronger to pull us away. If, like if you and I are going to escape the, the gravitational pull of being self-focused, God will need to pull us into the orbit of someone bigger, better, and stronger. And that's what Paul's saying God does in the person of his son. See what he does in verse 3? Just have a look at that. Trying trying to shift our focus, he says, look at Jesus. He didn't live to please himself. See, he gave himself for you. Whoever you are, if you're a young teenager uh, this morning, hear this from the Bible. The God of the Bible who's come in the person of Jesus, he gave himself for you. Gave himself for you. Um, he gave himself for you. And Paul wants to show us that Jesus did that even though it was costly. He, he quotes one of the Old Testament passages that speak about the kind of life Jesus displayed. Psalm 69 speaks of God's king, suffers as he serves others. So we want to live faithfully. We need to encounter the real Jesus. He'll show us faithful living. And did you notice verse 4? as it was read for it. It's almost there as if Paul stops to make sure we've understand, uh, understood something. Having told us about Jesus, see, see what Paul says? Uh, verse 4, he, he puts it like this, for, for everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Do you get his logic there? It's such good news if you do. He says, look, he's saying that verse 3, let, let me show you Jesus in one small part of the Old Testament to encourage you. Let, let me just hone in on one little bit from the Old Testament to show you Jesus, to encourage you. And then in verse 4, he says, oh, although, by the way, you, you do know it is all about him. The whole of the Old Testament, it, it is all about him and he is all for you. He'll encourage you in faithful living. As we gather on Sundays, as a church family together to hear God's word, as you read the Bible, small groups, pathfinders, grafted on your own, it will never be less than informing your mind. Of course, you're thinking about this stuff now. It will never be less than informing your mind, but you realize it's meant to be much, much more. This is the means by which you and I encounter the Lord Jesus. This is how we encounter him. To be faithful to him, we're, we're faithful in encountering him as we meet him in his word. Even this morning, you understand what's going on. It's not, it's not just getting you to think the right, right way. Je Jesus is presenting himself to you. And this morning, he's presenting this aspect about him. We're, we're not just learning about him. We're encountering him as the one who doesn't please himself serves others for their goods. He's saying, here's where you find real life. Look, that, that's the first thing. But I think we'll, we'll also need a kind of supernatural transformation to grow like Jesus. Now, there's certain people meeting them. It's a delight, but there's, there's no supernatural change. Scott's already hinted. Last night, he met James Carey. He's a funny guy. There's been no supernatural change in Scott's jokes. That's for sure. First time I met Steve, our vicar, he was baking sourdough bread. So Cambridge, so very Cambridge. It did not supernaturally change me into some dramatic baker. 
Oh, it would have been nice, but it doesn't happen like that. But here's the thing. I think Paul would say, look, if it would be disappointing if encountering Jesus and, and seeing in him authentic life, to look at him and think, yeah, that's it. That's the real life. To then feel, yeah, but I could never have that. Yeah, we've, we've been forgiven at the cross. He graciously took my sin on himself, but I, I, I wish knowing his goodness, I could begin to live a bit like that. I, I wish I could have that. But Paul says to you, look, if you feel that at all, don't, don't wish that. Pray for that. Ask God, because that's the kind of supernatural transformation he wants to do. Do you, know, do you notice the way that the passage works? It's sometimes hard when it's just laid out on the page in our Bibles, but if you've got it, let, let me try and show you some of the way Paul structured it. At verses 1 to 4 and verses 7 to 12, Paul speaks about Jesus quoting the Old Testament. He didn't please himself but others. He came and served others for their joy. That's what he's doing in those two little sections. But then in verses 5 and 6, in verse 13, he puts in two prayers for us. Verse 5 and 6. It's a prayer that God will transform us so we'll begin to think and feel about each other the way Jesus thinks and feels about us. Verse 13 is a prayer that God will transform us so we're, we're filled by the Spirit with the same kind of joy and peace you find in Jesus. Christians are being transformed that way, growing like Jesus. They're the ones who remain encouraged, who'll endure in these last days when it's hard. That's the kind of church that brings glory to God. They'll be faithful to Jesus and his people. Countercultural, not just living to please themselves. And dear friends, do you, do you feel, even as you, as you hear this, do you feel God's grace towards you? He is no demanding tyrant saying, you've got to reach this standard before I'll love you. You understand what he's He's doing, he says to you this morning, meet my son. Encounter my son, the one who freely saves you, who's given himself for you because he loves you. Encounter him. See how he lives. See how he lives. See how he treats you. So different from the world. And then ask me, Ask me, because as a gracious gift, I would love to change you so that with others at Christ Church, you begin to live like him and enjoy his quality of authentic life, not pleasing yourself, but looking to serve others for their spiritual good. That'd be good, wouldn't it? A God who would do that for you, that, that'd be kind not demanding, everything from him is gift. Everything from him is gift to you. That's where he wants us to go. But look, just as we think about that, if you feel, yeah, yeah that's, that's what we want. I think something else we'll need is a, is a way to recognize faithful living because of our culture is always pulling us a different way. What are some things that would help us to recognize how we need to go back the, the other way? Is there a way to recognize if we're getting this? that we're meeting Jesus this way, being transformed like him, being faithful. Uh, a man called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German pastor theologian, he, he wrote a little book about church called Life Together. And he says this at one point. 
He who loves his dream of a community more than the Christian community itself becomes the destroyer of the latter, even though his personal intentions intentions may be ever so honest and earnest and sacrificial. It's a penetrating observation. My wife Julia and I, we got married 15 years ago this summer, but it only took till our first Christmas to discover that she did Christmas completely wrong in almost every way. Honestly, let, let, me, let me tell you, presents, she didn't open them first thing in the morning. The way they open presents, they don't rip all the paper off. They're one of those families where they try and keep the paper and almost try and keep the sellotape as well. Can you believe that? I mean, it's so bad. And don't even get me started on the starters for Christmas dinner. All wrong. Ruin Christmas for me completely. Actually, she didn't really ruin Christmas for me. But you know those kind of feelings. And it's funny how sometimes we make our preferences into absolute rights and wrongs, and you understand what Bonhoeffer's getting at. It's possible to have an idea of what church should be and then be terrifically frustrated when people upset what you were hoping for. And you realize what's going on there. It's not really, it's not really other Christians I love. It's my own ideas that I love. It's me. I'm all about discovering the real me, following my own heart, being true to myself. But you'll know you're getting this kind of faithful living, says Paul, verse 7, if people in the church family begin to feel accepted by you. If around you, as they come along Sunday by Sunday in home groups, they feel part of the family with you, even though they know they mess up sometimes and they don't deserve it, and it will remind them that Jesus has accepted me, even though I don't deserve it either. Good for us to think as a church family, who feels welcomed and accepted by us at church? And you'll spot it, says Paul, verse 2, when you find yourself starting to think, what can I do to please my neighbor? To do them good and build them up. By neighbor here, Paul means Christians in the church family, your small group at Pathfinders on Fridays are grafted. It's a good question to ask. Who's Who's been spiritually built up by us in our church family? Sometimes met people who say things like, oh, I, I like coming to church, the, the services and the teaching, but I don't feel the need to spend time, much time with the people there. And Paul would say that's faithless. And you see what's going on. That, that's thinking people are only there to help you follow your heart. That's how the world lives. But we're to live differently. We're to live faithfully to Jesus, and that means longing to accept people the way he accepts them, even extending gracious forgiveness to do that, and looking to see people grow spiritually in Jesus, even if at times it is costly for us. Let's stop there, and we'll have a moment to pray. Our musicians are going to come back up and before we sing our final song, but let's have a moment just to pray ourselves.
Oh, Lord Jesus, thank you uh, that you are the faithful one. I thank you you've been faithful towards us, even when it was oh, so, so super costly to you at the cross. And you did it so you could not hold it over us, so you could welcome us and fill us with great joy by your Spirit so that we can enjoy knowing you and living for you. And so we ask, please, would you grant us that kind of faithfulness in our church family together, a costly service towards one another that fills us up by your Spirit with joy together as we trust in you. Please help us with that. We ask it in your precious name. Amen.